Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. God's kindness leads you to repentance. God's kindness leads you to repentance. It leads you. When I was 17, I had a job. So my parents told me to quit playing hockey at 16. They said, if you want a car, you've got to work for it. You've got to raise the money for it. If you want insurance, you've got to have money. We're not going to pay for it. So at 16, I got a job at the uh, greatest place in the world, sarcastically speaking, Sonic Drive-In. You guys like Sonic? <laughs> no, no. It's typical greasy burger kind of a place. And so that was my job at 16 and 17. So I actually worked there the rest of my high school career. And here's, let me tell you my experience with Sonic Drive-In. I was a cook there. I became a lead there. It, uh, they wanted me to go into management. I was like, no, this is not going to be my lifetime job guaranteed. But everybody was a pothead there. Everybody. This is when you were called a pothead when it, it meant something probably back then. Uh, people loved that term back then. This is before legalization of marijuana or medical marijuana. This is when THC actually had a potency about it. And I'm not advocating for it. Trust me, I'm not. But everybody smoked there except for the manager, and the assistant manager was the dealer of it all. So you can understand the environment I'm walking into, this, this experience of being this kind of clean-cut uh, athlete who played hockey into this environment. I have the tendency of the willingness to experiment. So I'm like, okay, I, I'll experiment with this. Sure, let's go for this. And... Um, Got to a point where I was like, this is not the best decision in the world. This is the dumbest decision in the world. I'm a high school student. This is not good for my body. This is not good for my mind. This is not good for my life. And I got talked into it one more time. Pull in to my house. Pass curfew. Walk through the door. Guess who's sitting on my couch with all the lights on? Mom. And my, this, was, this was also the era where everybody got spanked. Everybody. Didn't matter who you were. You got it. You got it. it was the discussion of spanking uh, around friends was which item do you get spanked with more than if you get spanked or not. It was like belt, sandal, wooden spoon from the kitchen, switch, which that was the worst switch where you have to like we had to pull our own branches off and, and pull every leaf and, and anything that would cause wind drag. You had to take it off yourself before you handed it to the parent. That was my life. So when I walked in and my mom is sitting on the couch, curfew, I'm like, uh, well, hi, mom. How's, how's, how's it going? How's dad? How's, how are the kids? Meaning my brother and sister. And she's like, you're stoned, aren't you? Immediate. That was the first words that came out of her mouth. You're stoned, aren't you? She told me years later, about five years ago, that she had no clue I was stoned. She felt like it was God asking her to ask me. And so I knew I couldn't hide it in that moment. I knew it. I, I just had to admit that I was. And I said, yes, I am. And all of a sudden, my mom, instead of the typical what I assumed would come out of her mouth, this, this angry mother, this, this woman who wanted to beat the tar out of me with a, a bat or a belt or a paddle um, and ground me for the rest of my life and make me quit my job, she just said, hey, why don't you come into the kitchen with me? Why don't you sit at the island and let's talk about this? So I did. I sat down 
and she proceeds to just ask me questions. Ask me questions. Like, how do you feel? What do you think of this? Like, how long have you been doing this? All of these questions, just getting to know what I was thinking, what I was about, and why I was going this route. And what was so fascinating to me is she had a kindness that I did not expect whatsoever. And I believe that because of her kindness, it made me want to stop. It made me not go down that avenue of destruction. It made me not want to go down that route that I could have easily gone down. And you know the, the route that I'm talking about. It's kind of the opposite of kindness. When somebody is mean, like a meanness to you, that's a word. Meanness? Is that a word? Sure. Let's go with it. If meanness is a word, somebody who is harsh, tense, mad, angry at any of us, what do we typically do? We're like, Forget you, I'm going to go more into destruction. I'm going to go my, my own way. I'm going to get worse and worse and worse. We know that. When a parent kind of comes at us when we were kids, we would want to go worse and worse just to stick it to them. But there was a kindness in her heart. There was a kindness in her voice. There was a kindness in her demeanor that made me want to stop. I think that's so awesome of God. That God has an incredible, absolute love and kindness for you. God has desire to care for, for you and I. He's the one who comes into the kitchen to take a seat. Let's have a conversation. I don't want you to stay there, and I don't want you to do this. I want you to change and get better. And there's a kindness and a gentleness in his voice. There's another word he uses repeatedly throughout the, the Bible, and it's a word called grace. Well, what is, what is grace? What do you think grace might be? Grace is the coolest gift in the world. It's awesome. There's a moment where Jesus tells the people and tells his disciples, he says, let the children come to me. And in Luke 18, he says, let the children come to me. And theirs is the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's the picture of grace, isn't it? That Jesus says, come to me. I am sinless. I am perfect. I am your savior. I am your rescuer. And you are not. You need me. So come to me, be my children, come into my presence. The kingdom of God can be yours. The kingdom of God can be given to you. And it's a, and a massive, it's a, a massive blessing and it's amazing. It's God, it's God's favor on us. That's what grace actually means. Because you and I know we're not perfect, are we? We're not. I'm a punk. I am a jerk at times. I am rude at times. I am sinful always. We all are. That's what God says is that we are sinners every day of our lives. There's no possibility of becoming sinless while you're a human because you have a human nature that says, I love sin. I desire sin. I want to be about sin. I want to be about selfishness. And, and we don't deserve the gift of God. We don't deserve the gift of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what its grace is. It's the gift of Jesus Christ, which is blessing which is um, honor, which is the kingdom of God, which is eternal life, which is healing. And, and you're given the Holy Spirit as a gift to you and to me to come inside to be our guide and to be the one who carries the words of Jesus Christ into our lives. And he's that, that voice inside that says, don't do that. Don't go that way. That is the destructive path. Don't do that. But come this way where there is life and healing and blessing and favor and so much more. Ultimately, grace is God choosing to call us to Jesus Christ. You and I don't deserve it, do we? 
We don't deserve. That's what grace is. It's a free gift that we do not deserve. It is a gift that says you are a sinner. You deserve death and destruction. But I love you and I'm going to be kind to you and, and have favor on you and give you the gift that you do not deserve. That is why we believe that you cannot work for this gift. It is impossible. You, it works is impossible. If you try to work for your salvation, what you're doing is you're trying to buy the gift. The gift is unbuyable. There's no possible way to buy that gift of Jesus Christ. It is impossible. It's like going to Disneyland and expecting to get a ticket. It is a ticket that is worth way more than you could ever comprehend. No one who is a billionaire or trillionaire or whatever could ever purchase this gift, this ticket, except for one who is Jesus Christ, who actually took his very life to buy that ticket for us. It is an undeserved gift. And so do we even recognize the grace of God? Do we recognize his kindness? For the past few weeks, we've been in a, a little study on Jonah, the book of Jonah. It's, it's really very, very short in the Old Testament. It is an amazing, amazing story of God's grace and God's favor and God's kindness upon man. And I think when you look at this story, you see grace littered through this whole book. I mean, take his story. The grace of God, when there was this massive deadly storm in chapter 1, there's this storm that comes over the ocean, and he deserves to die. But God says, I'm going to extend grace and not let you die in this storm. And then, you know what? We're going to throw you overboard. The crew chucks him overboard with all the supplies, essentially, and he still has the grace of God upon him that he doesn't drown in the mighty waves. And then God's grace, a fish, giant fish, if you uh, believe this, I almost think it'd be hilarious to, that it was a goldfish, not a whale. How? God is humorous. I do believe that. So a massive fish swallows him up. That's the grace of God. He lives in the fish for three days and three nights. That's the grace of God. How does somebody survive in a fish, even if it was a whale? How do they survive for three days and three nights without starvation or, or dehydration or being just constantly feeling like you're being drowned probably inside that stomach and tossed and turned and knocked left and right? It's the grace of God. And then he's vomited up on dry ground. I think that's the grace of God too, because if you think about it, God could have caused the big fish to puke him out in the water and make him swim, and does he even know how to swim? Would he have survived? But the grace of God said, I'm going to put you in a place where you can easily just go from here, because the fish had to beach himself to get him onto dry ground, and he was able to walk to Nineveh from there, because that's what he was supposed to do when he disobeyed God. He was supposed to go to the Ninevites, this place that was so wicked and so evil and so crazy that God was like, their wickedness has reached me so um, so much that that I want to speak against them. I want to speak of destruction. And Jonah was like, no, no, I can't go there. They're going to kill me. So he decides to flee in the opposite direction. And God says, nope, I'm going to get you in the right direction and get you to Nineveh. The hand and grace of God, because he deserved death. He deserved to be killed. He did because he disobeyed God. But God protected him. And I think, I think they're, look at Jonah chapter three. If you got a Bible, go to Jonah chapter three. Verse 1, verse 1, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3 today. And before I continue, I'll give you a second to go there. This is what blows me away about this whole story, is verse 1. Verse 1, it's page uh, 697, halfway down. 
or the Bible app, page one. <laughs> it is. It's always going to be page one. Every page in the Bible app is page one, just to let you know. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time? What? Not the first. A second time. Crazy is that, that God chose to give him a second chance. That's grace, isn't it? How many times when you read the Bible do you see people knocked off repeatedly because they did something that was disobedient to God? Or not just, just put aside, but, but like put out of a job or put at a distance because of what they've done. But God's like, I'm going to give you a second chance, Jonah. A second time I'm going to come to you. That is the character of God that he second chances. I don't know if you believe that or not. I know sometimes it's really hard to believe that because as humans, if you do something against any of us, we're quick to write each other off, aren't we? Immediately, when somebody does something to me, we all have the mindset of saying, uh, I'm not really going to call you anymore. We're really not that good of friends. Um, I feel like I can't trust you anymore because you did not water my roses like I prefer, and they drowned, and they were beautiful every morning when I looked out my window and the birds sang at those roses, and you were a jerk because you didn't water them right now. Um, I, don't, I don't even have roses. Actually, my wife has roses. I don't. But second chance. Do you believe in second chances? Do we give second chances? Do we ever understand sh- second chances? But God is different. Do you know God gives second chances, third chances, fourth chances? What chance are you on? 25th, 53rd, 102 and a half? What's your chance? Where, where are you at with, with chances? How many chances has God given you? Have you thought about that ever? Have you ever reflected on how many chances God's given you? Has he ever given you a second chance to come follow him? Has he ever given you a second chance back to him? Has he ever given you a, a chance of becoming free from an addiction? Has he ever given you a chance to be obedient to him and do what he's asked you to do? Or has he given you a task to go talk to your neighbor and introduce yourself and love them and care about them, even though they wildly believe something different than you? Has God given you a task to go be friends with them? How many chances has he given you in that? How about to turn from sin? How about to give generously? speak kindly how about to not say things on social media for a change something i've really struggled with past couple weeks is how mean people are people are mean like if they do something that is so different than me we are so quick to instantly turn on a dime and throw them in the mud we throw them out of the car all the time figuratively i'm not throwing literally throwing people out of the car But we figuratively chuck people out all of the time, don't we? And God's like, you know, I'm giving you a second chance, a third chance, a fifth chance, a tenth chance, 25th chance, whatever it is. And here's a warning. Here's a warning to all of us. Don't press your luck. Don't do it. Don't say, well, God's going to give me another chance. And God's going to give me another chance. You know what? I, I used to do youth ministry a long, long time ago. I used to have teenagers all the time tell me, you know what? I'll come to know God when I'm older. 
when I'm past my college years, when I'm past my 20s, when I, maybe when I have a family, then I will come to know God. And I'm like, why press your luck in that? Why push it? Why God has given you a chance every single Sunday or every single day of the week or whatever it is, every Wednesday night to come into a relationship with him, but you're taking your chance to wait it out. I even had a 17-year-old girl in my youth ministry die in a charter bus accident. She was very popular at Deer Valley High School. I remember it wrecked that community, wrecked so many of our students. We actually were supposed to go on a ski trip a month later for our youth ministry up to Durango, Colorado. We had to cancel it because every parent decided they didn't want their kid on a charter bus because of it. At her funeral, over 2,000 people showed up. 17-year-old, over 2,000 people. I don't find that a lot of the time with, with people that pass away older than 50 sometimes. Sometimes you might get 100, sometimes two or 300, but 2,000? She didn't know at 17 that maybe that was going to be her last chance to give her life to Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Christ. I do believe she did Jesus Christ. I do. But we don't know how many chances were given. And actually, Romans speaks of that. Paul says that. He says, by the way, just because grace abounds, just because grace is a lot, just because God's kindness is, is infinite, doesn't mean that you can just keep sinning and doing whatever you want in hopes that grace abounds. Does that make sense? We're not supposed to just say, I'm going to keep living my life. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I want to keep on messing my life up and, and digging myself a hole and being selfish and, and full of me. And you know, grace is infinite. God's kindness, he will always forgive me. Man, don't press your luck. Because when you do, it's usually always too late. The time is now. And I don't think that we need to ignore and, and question and be disobedient. That's not what we're called to do. Here's my question. How does Jonah respond to the grace of God in this moment? How does he respond? Because God gives him a second chance, which is a great example of us. How are we called to respond to God when he gives us a second chance? Look at verse 2. Go immediately. So God says, immediately. The great city of Nineveh, proclaim it. Message I give you. Jonah did what? He obeyed didn't he? He obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important, vis uh, important city. A visit required three days. When we're, given a, when we're given a second chance, we need to do what? We need to go immediately and obey. Go immediately and obey, regardless of the fear, regardless of the tension, regardless of whatever we have going on in our minds, we are called to obey. And we got to believe that God is going to go with us just like he went with Jonah. That's what he did. He went with Jonah. Jonah was scared out of his mind to go into this, this group of people, this great massive city full of, of uh, devious, wicked men and, and warriors and, and powerful um, influences. He had to have been scared, but he knew he had to obey instantly. And in verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed... 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Which tells me, if he proclaimed that the instant he went into the city, he, here's my question. You know, like luggage at an airport, you know how you're only given so many poundage in, an, uh, in a bag or you have to pay like 
a ton of money. It's crazy. If you're over that poundage, what do you have to do? You have to take things out. If you want to add things, you got to take things out. You have to figure out on vacation, if you're going to get back with your suitcase to your house, you've got to figure out what comes out and what is put in. So I believe for Jonah to obey and for us to obey and for us to really receive the second chance, we've got to also learn to take things out when God puts things in. You can't just say, bring God, bring things into my life, put things, put things over and over and over in me. That's great. Yes, 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 yes. But then what happens? You become spiritually constipated and you have a bottle up situation in your gut and nothing is coming out of you. What do you, ha what do you have then? You have misery. You have to take things out of you as God puts things in you. Does that make sense? It does. Jonah had to get rid of his racism. Jonah had to get rid of his prejudiced attitude. Jonah had to get rid of fear and said, you know what? The minute I see the city, day one, it takes three days, day one, I've got to put all of the, I've got to untie these things from me so that I can take fully in what God wants me to do and walk into the city. 40 more days, and it will be overturned. Was that a uh, possibility? No. He said it will be overturned, right? So Jonah got a second chance. Do you think the Ninevites got a second chance? They did, didn't they? And that also blows me away to this. The worst of the worst gets a second chance. How do I know that? The word overturned. Here's something fascinating. Jonah's uh, whole message was five words in Hebrew. Five words. What if every, every Sunday you came in, whoever was preaching only gave you five words? Simple, concise, to the point, be quiet and just say five words. That'd be very hard for a lot of people, wouldn't it? Or if you're opinionated, five words is a lot. But one word he uses is crucial, overturned. That has double meaning. Um, the English language, have, we have a lot of double meanings in our language, don't we? It gets confusing figuring out the trends of what is going on or words that are being used, especially if you have teenagers in the home and they start using words that you're like, what in the world does that mean? Like cap? I say that. Cap. Lying. Like I think of cap, I think of a baseball cap. That's what I think. But it's lying. Or when somebody says, that's hot. That person's hot. It could also mean like literally on fire, gorgeous, beautiful, right? We have double meanings everywhere in our culture. The funniest one to me is tea. That's the funniest one to me. My, my wife says that all the time. What's the tea? I'm like, what do you want? Black tea, green tea, iced tea? And she's like, no, the gossip. Give me the news. She says now like, Darjeeling tea. What's the Darjeeling? I'm like, what? No, I, I don't. You want to know what's going on? I'll tell you. Read the news. Go to, go to social media. No. But, or, or the one that I, I love, that I don't, I've gotten quite a bit when I've preached before. You killed it. That could be hilarious. I murdered it. I murdered words. I murdered what was going on. Like, that, is that a good thing? But killed it means a good thing. It was awesome. It was good, right? It was incredible. Like words have so many double meanings. Like drip. That's a double meaning. Doesn't mean a faucet or water. <laughs> Style, fashion, look, 
about you. But the word overturned has a double meaning, doesn't it? It means destruction. 40 more days and there might be destruction or there will be destruction. That is the first meaning of overturn. But it has another meaning which blows me away. It means forever changed. Destruction or forever changed. You take your pick. 40 more days, destruction or forever changed. That shows the grace of God upon these people. His kindness was so great. He's like, you know what? I'm going to bless the worst of the worst here. These people give them a second chance opportunity. And he's saying, by the way, if you keep going the way that you go, destruction. Has anybody, I, I've had people tell me that in my life. If you keep going the way that you're going, you're going to drown yourself in alcohol. You're going to die. We've all had that with other things, with things in our lives, personal lives. If you keep going the way that you're going with work, if you're a workaholic, if you keep going that route, you're just going to burn yourself out and give yourself a panic attack. If you keep on allowing that to uh, play on in your head over and over and over again, you're going to be extremely depressed and have anxiety and stress. Or change. Turn to God. Obey God. Follow God. Forever changed. What will you have? You will have prosperity. You will have life. You will have joy. You will have peace. That's the opportunity that they're given in this moment. And what do the Ninevites do? Verse 5, they believed God. I, I love that. They believed, did they believe Jonah? No. They believed God. They declared a fast. Them from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You know what sackcloth is? It's like a burlap sack. It's the scratchiest, most annoying, miserable thing that you could put. Take like a Brillo pad and rub it on your skin. Actually, don't do that. That's what it would be like over and over and over again. And they were saying, you know, we need to really look at the misery we've created and we need to focus on God. When the news reached the king, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in the dirt and the dust. They were willing to humble themselves. They were willing to fast and, and, and hold off food, water, you name it, entertainment, pleasure, all to focus on God, to give God the glory, to say, God, we have messed up, we have wronged. And they urgently prayed over and over to say, God, we repent of our evil ways, we repent of our wickedness. Which brings me back to Romans chapter 2. God's kindness leads you and I and other people to repentance. God's kindness, God's favor, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's blessing leads me and you to give up our ways of just us to focus on God, the forever changed. That is what he's saying. Forever Repentance means is if I'm headed this direction in my own self, repentance is I'm going to turn and walk this direction in mind and action and body. I'm going to go the opposite, which is towards God and away from my wickedness. These people... God gave them everything and not destruction. Everything and not destruction in his love. Now, let's turn this on us. Turn the camera on us. Put it in selfie mode for a second. We're just like the Ninevites. We are. Every day, we have a battle inside of us to say we could be like the Ninevites or not be like the Ninevites. We have a moment of saying, well, am I going to follow God today or am I not going to follow God today? What am I going to do? And God's grace is on each one of us, too. 
He says, I have kindness for you. I have a desire for you. I have freedom for you. I have life for you. God's grace should transform us each and every day like it did the Ninevites. And just like he had five short, concise words, let me sum this whole message up for you in a very short, maybe small way. Do you realize God's giving you a second chance? He's giving you a second chance in his kindness. And you might be like, well, I read my Bible every day and I'm a mature Christian and today is great and, and I'm, I am uh, blameless at the moment and I'm not sinning and, and everything is good at, in this very, very second. I'm good. Well, God's giving you a second chance about something. What is it? What, what could he be um, wanting to extend his kindness and love to you and giving you a second chance about? And it could be some, for some of us, it literally could be giving your life to him. Literally giving Jesus your life, waving the white flag. And it's as simple as prayer. It's just to say, God, I believe you. I believe in you, God. I believe who you are, Jesus Christ. I believe that you are the gift of grace and the way to salvation. Forgive me. I repent of my stuff, my sin, my wrong. And I'm going to follow you every day, every day. Take it, Jesus, take it. That is what giving your life is. That's what salvation, that prayer from your heart of saying, Jesus, here it is. I can't do this. And some of us, that's the second chance today. If you want to pray that prayer, open and talk to me afterward, please. I would love to pray with you on that and never be scared of that. That is a blessing, amazing gift. Or maybe for some of us, second chance, uh, I haven't been who I should be. I need to come back to Jesus. I got off on a detour route, and I haven't been living the way that I should, and I know he's calling me to live. Maybe today is a second chance to say, hey, come back. Doesn't mean you have to get rebaptized. Doesn't mean you have to, to go through this crazy ceremony stuff. No, it's having a conversation with Jesus. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I got off track. I went on a detour in the desert, and I, I lost by sin and myself. I'm sorry. I want to begin with you. I want to follow you again. And maybe it's, it's the second chance to maybe that you aren't growing and you expect me or somebody on Sunday morning to grow you. That is not my job. Your job is to grow yourself. Your job, I can't go to your gym and work out for you to get muscular. That's not how it works. That, that's kind of a weird picture. <laughs> but your job is to grow yourself. Your job is to be healthy yourself. Your job is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like I have a marriage with Liz, my wife. One of my jobs is to grow in relationship with her. I can't have a third person come have a relationship to help us grow. No, that's not how it works. So maybe the second chance is God saying, hey, start reading my word. Start hearing my voice. Start understanding what I'm trying to help you see that is good and right and lovely for you. Start reading. Even if it doesn't make sense, read. Hear my words. Hear my voice. And pray. Talk to me. Have a conversation with me. And get into a community group with people that absolutely love Jesus as well and can, you can lean on um, and you can grow with. Those are healthy things. And maybe God's giving you the chance to say, start something. Or calling you to be obedient. He's asking, he's giving you a task. 
asked you to do something, give up something, or befriend somebody, maybe invite somebody to church, or have dinner with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, I'm not asking you to stand on a soapbox and yell at them that they're sinners and tell them they're going to hell unless they give their lives to Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it starts with a relationship. It's saying, hey, I'm willing to get to know you because I love you. God loves you, the person, so I'm choosing to love you. We'll take care of the sin in a little bit here. I'll help you see that there's a better way of life. Most people will tune you out if you yell at them but they'll be open if you build a relationship and a friendship with them. The second chance. The second chance should produce action and repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness leads to action, leads to obedience, immediate obedience, immediate change, repentance. That's the challenge. Please do not walk away and think, well, that was great. Um, I think I can take something from it. No. Ask God, what is the second chance you're giving me? What's the 20th chance you're giving me? And I need to respond and listen today. What, what is it? That's the question mark for you. Let me pray. God, thank you for this brief moment of, of your word. Thank you so much that you speak, that, that you have kindness, you have grace and favor and love and forgiveness so much for us through Jesus Christ. I pray that we accept your kindness, that we accept your grace and help it to lead us to repentance. Help, us to, help it to lead us away from our own selfish desires or sin or whatever it may be. And I pray that, that those here that have never given you their life or uh, are distant and, and have gone away, I pray that this is the chance that they come back and they say, I want a relationship with you for the first time or I want to re-give you my life. I want to jump back into a relationship with you and I'm sorry. Please let this not just go away by lunch, but let us see what you have planned for our lives and help us to devote our life to you through your grace and mercy. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.